Welcome to Legal Tech Week for May 1st, 2020. This is Bob Ambrogi. It's May Day. It's Law Day. A lot of people are crying May Day right now. But it's also been a big week for Legal Tech News. Later in the episode, I'm going to be joined by Mark Palmer, Chief Counsel of the Illinois Supreme Court Commission on Professionalism, to get his perspective on some of the week's stories. But first, let me dig into some of what happened this week. The big story from where I sit came early in the week when the Utah Supreme Court proposed the most sweeping reforms of the regulation of legal services in a generation. The court put up for a 90-day period of public comment proposed changes to Utah's rules of professional conduct, which, among other things, would allow fee sharing with non-lawyers, allow non-lawyers to have ownership or partnership interest in law firms and other legal services providers, uh, this is huge. This upends the regulation uh, of law practice uh, the way it's been for uh, a century anyway uh, in the United States uh, and would put, uh, would put Utah at least on par with some other countries such as the UK. In addition, what, what Utah is proposing is a two-year pilot of a so-called regulatory sandbox, which would operate under the name the Office of Legal Services Innovation uh, and this would be an entity that would be set up to license and oversee alternative forms of legal services providers. Uh, these could include tech-enabled companies delivering legal services. These could include partnerships between lawyers and non-lawyers, including, say, other professionals, say, accountants or social workers, um, or even lawyers working as staff attorneys for private companies offering legal services to the public. This is a, a, a huge story, uh, and uh, uh, we're going to be following it closely, of course. Uh, but uh, as part of that, one of the things that the Utah did is to invite companies uh, that are currently offering or developing products that could help people who are affected now by the COVID-19 crisis to get their applications in right now without waiting for that 90-day public comment period. And those companies will be fast-tracked in terms of a review process. Uh, so uh, the idea is to find companies, if there are alternative legal services providers that could help serve uh, individuals or small businesses who have been hurt by the COVID-19 crisis, they could get fast-tracked and get, uh, get approval perhaps earlier. That would be news enough for the week, but uh, there's more. Uh, earlier this week, the Supreme Court issued a watershed ruling for public access to primary legal materials. In a case, Georgia versus public.resource.org, the court held that uh, Georgia cannot claim a copyright in its official statutes. Now, in Georgia, the official statutory code is an annotated code, and it has annotations that are prepared by LexisNexis, by an outside party, but they're prepared under a contract with and under the auspices of an official Georgia body, the Georgia Code Revision Commission. Uh, Carl Malamud, who runs public.resource.org, which is an organization that's devoted to publishing, uh, providing public access, open access to primary legal materials. Uh, he had published the Georgia Code. Uh, the state of Georgia had taken him to court. A lower court had told him to take down the materials. Uh, and now the Supreme Court is saying Georgia cannot claim a copyright uh, in these materials, and Carl Malamud has every right to publish these materials. It's a huge victory for public access, uh, and it uh, could have implications well beyond this immediate situation. 
Two other stories I want to highlight this week. One is that uh, yesterday, uh, on Thursday of this week, uh, the American Bar Association and a number of legal technology companies uh, revealed a unique partnership through which they have developed a disaster relief pro bono portal designed to help match individuals who need pro bono legal services because of COVID-19 or other disasters, including natural disasters, with uh, lawyers who can provide those services. This is the first nationwide pro bono portal of its kind. Uh, and as I say, it's, it's unique because it came about through this, this partnership of a number of different companies. The, the primary partners in developing this were Paladin, which is a, a legal technology company whose, whose platform helps legal organizations manage pro bono work, and the ABA's uh, Young Lawyers Division, which has a disaster legal services program through a contract with the uh, Federal Emergency Management Agency. In addition, uh, two other legal tech companies, Clio, the cloud-based practice management company, and uh, LegalZoom, which of course is the company that provides affordable online legal services, uh, they provided the funding to help make this happen. And uh, another entity was also involved, which is the Legal Services Corporation, which is of course the largest funder of civil legal aid uh, in the country. Uh, is uh, cooperating and in, in helping, inviting its its grantees to use the portal and and submit cases to the portal. So this could be a huge boon for individuals who need uh, pro bono legal services, especially as a result of COVID nineteen. And finally, today uh, I've talked a few times about Epic Global, which uh, had a run of uh, bad luck over the last couple of months. First, uh, a uh, ransomware attack basically shut it down for nearly a month. Uh, it had to take all of its servers online, go through a full forensic uh, investigation. Uh, and just as it was recovering from all of that, of course, the coronavirus crisis hit and uh, hit uh, at least one part of its business a little harder than other parts of its business, resulting in it having to make some layoffs and, and furlough some other employees up until now, uh, the company had not had a lot to say on it. I'd reached out a number of times for comment. They had provided me some information about the ransomware attack, but on the layoffs, they were uh, declining comment. That changed this week. Uh, I was contacted by the CEO, David Dobson, uh, and he and I sat down for an interview. And uh, he uh, basically... Uh, you know, was was said he was proud of the way his company had handled these incidents. Uh, he felt there had been some negative reporting and negative press around it, including uh, by yours truly, uh, and uh, that some of that reporting had been unfair or perhaps not even factual. Uh, it's on my blog, and I'll put a link to it, but it, it's a good read to get uh, his side of a story that I've been reporting on extensively over the last couple of months. So that's it for uh, my wrap-up of the week's news, and uh, now I'm going to uh, be joined by my guest. I'm joined now by Mark Palmer, Chief Counsel, the Illinois Supreme Court Commission on Professionalism. Mark, how are you doing today? Hi, Bob. Great to see you, hear you, I guess, and, uh, and thanks for having me. 
I know, hear me. It's 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 almost unusual to not be on a call these days when you don't actually see the person you're you're talking to. But yeah, I feel like Zoom has become a norm, which is I think a positive thing as we as we redevelop what's going to be the next step. Um, which it seems like day by day things change in advance, so um, everything is accelerating. I'm, I'm sure it's keeping you busy on reporting on all this. Keeping me busy for sure, and and I, I'm sure you're busy with uh, not just your job, but I know you have twin daughters at home and uh, a lot to juggle probably right now. Yeah, they're. Uh, I think they're looking for new playmates. They're getting tired of mom and dad um, <laughs> escorting them around and doing puzzles and games. We're running out of options, but uh, we're thankful and healthy and blessed that way. So, Mark, I want to get your perspective on two stories uh, in this week that I know that were in the news this week that I know are both ones that you've uh, you've followed. First off, uh, of course, the Utah Supreme Court proposed a number of changes to its state's rules of professional conduct, um, as well as the establishment of this Office of Legal Services Innovation. So, what, what's your broad impression of what on what Utah has done? Well, I think uh, for those who at least have been following this uh, regulation issue, or some of it have called it re-regulation, I don't know if that's the right verbiage or not, but um, everyone's kind of been waiting to see who really steps up to the plate first. And clearly, Utah has made that move, um, really uh, hit a shot in the center field to say, we're going to make a go at this a little more than even some other states that have looked at it or dipped their toe in the water, like California and Arizona, and, and even where I sit here in Illinois, to a degree. Um, but I think the real impact is where the typical lawyer, the the practitioner, which, as we all know, in the United States, that's mostly small solo lawyers, right? right. And I don't think they're well enough informed on what is really going on in this space. They may have that knee-jerk reaction, but they really need to dive in and look and see. And I think if they look at the elements that Utah's proposing, that gives them at least a taste of what could be coming and what likely maybe some say is inevitable. Well, do you, I mean, how do you think uh, those smaller firm lawyers would respond once they do know what's going on here? Yeah. And I think they have actually a duty to educate themselves. And, and I, but once they realize um, that, yes, it could have an impact on how you do your job or how you uh, market yourself or what other players are out there to um, deliver legal services in a whole new way, um, like they've been doing for years in the UK and Australia, for example, um, those are things you need to recognize. How will this impact me? And not just my bottom line, but how we serve clients. And that's really should be the goal at all aspects of any lawyer lawyer's day-to-day work. Um, but how are they doing that with these new options out there? And how can they pivot in the appropriate manner that they can still, you know, bring home the bread at the end of the day appropriately, but also make the client happy at the end of the day, solve the problems, because that's what we do as lawyers. And I think once they dissect the options and the doors that this can open, they can realize they're not necessarily delivering it in a in a uh, in an inappropriate way or a way that they're going to lose revenue. They just need to change their methodology, change the how, and while the why remains the same. It's interesting because after I wrote about 
the Utah uh, proposal earlier this week. I had an email from, well, I, I will tell you, I had several uh, emails from angry lawyers saying this is going to put us out of, these kinds of reforms are going to put us out of business, that these are being uh, pressed by big firm elitist lawyers who want to put the small firm lawyer out of business. Uh, and he and I, one, one of them who wrote to me and I have had an interesting back and forth exchange about this because I, I obviously don't see it that way. Um, and uh, he's been uh, willing to consider my views a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I was wishing I could get him to uh, let me publish our, our exchange. He, he didn't want to do that. But it's, it's I, you know, I think there are a lot of lawyers who do see this as a threat. But I, but I want to ask, I mean, the, the premise here is certainly the premise of what's being proposed in Utah is that these changes would enhance access to justice in the state. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that's a valid premise? Do you think that that could happen? Uh, I, I think it certainly is valid, and it's really difficult to see the future. Um, how do you measure this? You can look to what's happening abroad, um, but you can also say at the same time, well, our legal industry specifically is very different in the United States, and that's an argument often made. And when I hear lawyers and bar associations and the like arguing against this type of reform and, and regulation change, um, the comment usually starts with, well, what's your proof this will improve access to justice? Right. Um, but is more options a bad thing or a good thing? And I think the first place you need to look in all of this is a reminder of, as I often say, always look to the statute first. And in this instance, always look to the rules first and the rules of professional conduct. And we we often refer to the preamble in our job at the Commission on Professionalism and right there in the preamble, it's, it's regulations are to be conceived in the public interest. You're serving the consumer, not in furtherance of our own interests as a profession. So will this benefit the consumer? Uh, will their problems be solved better, to say it in a very generic broad term? Uh, if it brings more options to the table and does it in a, in a, in a regulated manner that still can be watched and controlled um, and Utah will have some very interesting results, I'm sure, in this two-year sandbox that they will start up yeah. um, to see. Does it work, and how do we need to control it appropriately the whole time having that in mind? The consumer is the person being served here. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on whether what we are going through right now could in some ways help fast-track uh other states' uh, examination of, of these kinds of reforms. And insofar as I, it feels like a, a lot of what we are going through now has in some ways exposed some of the, the shortcomings or the weaknesses in our, you know, our system of delivering legal services. Yeah, it's kind of a double-sided coin. And what I mean by that is, yes, I do think it, it should fast-track it in theory. My concern, though, is that there's so many other things percolated to the surface right now in you know, very simple questions or that become complicated, complicated solutions, as in how do we reopen the courthouses? How do we have jury trials? These are the things that obviously um, the state courts across the United States are focused on right now because they have to be, and that's understandable. We have uh, constitutional rights at hand and, and people's um, people in jail not knowing where, what's next. But once that dust settles, and I think it, it reasonably will quickly when you look at states like Texas who have done this for a while and, and done it successfully because of, of their past natural disasters and ha been, their hand has been forced, yeah. um, I think it'll open up 
at least at a minimum the discussion and hopefully at least some pilot programs or more sandboxes or at least um, further dis- the discussion. And, yeah. and I think if Utah continues down this path, it's very much of a race a race to the market. And if Utah wins that and you start seeing um, you know, uh, a geographic um, impulse of entrepreneurship, of legal service ideas, of ABSs, of of alternative legal service providers saying, this is where we can help consumers, help the legal uh, service providing uh, recipients, um, then other states are going to raise a quick eyebrow, I think. Let me turn to this uh, week's Supreme Court opinion in Georgia versus public.resource.org. Well, before you do that, yeah, Bob, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't want to leave out the point that any lawyer listening to this, any any legal professional, frankly, don't hesitate to go to Utah and comment on this. Um, just because you you don't have to be a Utah lawyer to give input, right. but but it, you have ninety days in their comment period. I think that closes in uh, um, July twenty third or so. Um, but do so with informed comment. So do research. Um, there's plenty of discussion out there about it. If you really want to dig deep. Um, you know, start with Bill Henderson's Legal Services Landscape Report from yep. 2018 to California. That's a great starting point. There's lots of the task force that have put out reports on this. So please educate yourself and make a comment to Utah and do it appropriately. Don't go with your knee-jerk reaction. Just yeah. want to make that point. Yeah, good, a good point to be to be made. And uh, the um, if, if people go to my my lawsitesblog.com and find that article on the regulatory form, it has the link to uh, where you can where you can comment. Uh, okay, so uh, the Supreme Court opinion this week: Georgia versus public.resource.org. Yeah. Uh, uh, I know you have written about this. Uh, you wrote about it in the past before the court issued its decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what, what's your take? Uh, they went with pretty much what I expected. I know uh, I watched a little bit. I think I listened to the oral arguments and and kind of tried to read the tea leaves, which is, can be a dangerous thing to do always um, from the oral arguments. But yeah. I think the consensus was um, it would be somewhat of a close vote. It wouldn't be unanimous. I don't think everyone anyone expected it to be a five to four like it ended up being. Yeah. Um, but I think they did end up on the right side of the option there. And I haven't really dissected the dissents and I'm curious to do so. But I, I think- it really, it, from what I'm guessing, it goes more towards um, where do you, where do you, where does that slippery slope end on what is um, authorship of a, I'll call it a government document or something like that, whether it's in the courthouse or whether it's in Congress uh, at the state or federal level. So, I'm guessing that's the concerns that the other justices had there. But uh, at the end of the day, I think um, Chief Justice Roberts, um, you know main opinion um, is on point. Yeah. Do you think this is a case that has uh, implications or an opinion rather that has implications beyond the immediate case? I mean, it was somewhat fact specific in in the idea that uh, you have a a private company writing these annotations, but they're writing them under the auspices of an official government body. Uh, I don't know how common that scenario is, but but, I mean, what do you think? Are are there implications uh, for uh, public access to law more broadly? Yeah, a couple points. They, I was, I was kind of shocked to be honest. I practiced in Illinois before I um, sit in my current government, uh, judicial, um, government, quasi-governmental role, um, working for the courts now. But uh, I, I did not know that 
there were states that had official annotated statutes like this, and turns out there's 22 of them, including two right. territories and, yeah. and D.C. Yeah. Like, whoa, wow. And then when I kind of read the 11th Circuit uh, opinion about how detailed Georgia was involved in its relationship, in this case with Lexis, to create the annotations, publish them both online and paper forms, and, and literally to profit from that, uh, where Lexis got a little kickback as well from the hard copy versions. Um, if you could put up, uh, I think it was a little over 400 bucks for the volume set. Uh, that, that was very interesting and part of the arguments made as well. But I think really what it comes down to is who wrote these issues and not only who were they doing it under the direction of, but what what shoes were they sitting in when they actually did the work product? And I think it was fascinating to look that the court turned to um, you know precedent from the 1800s, uh, 130 yeah. years ago, to yeah. really establish the public policy that came out then was really, in a, in a way, repeated in this decision helped pass down this week, which is pretty amazing to see 1888 uh, um, d opinion kind of policies and doctrines applied to today's situation as well. Yeah, you don't see that too often these days. Yeah. But I think it does have it does have questions. It does have questions on, you know, as states now will scramble and yeah. as well as legal publishers will scramble and say, uh, you know, where does this end? Who who are the authors, um, whether it's at the judicial level or legislative letter level? Um, how far does this government edict doctrine go? And is it a positive or a negative for the public? Is it a positive or negative for open law? Like your first reaction was, well, it's clearly a, a positive. It clearly should give better access to the public because the people own the law. But if you take that one more step, you could make the argument and, and you can make argument against this, but is it minimizing uh, future access to legal analysis and the like if companies are not going to annotate code as much or um, dissect opinions or somehow um, make accessibility to legal information out there for both the public and legal professionals. Um, but I think that can open a whole nother can of worms on how AI is changing that um, and so forth. And that's where you need to speak to smarter people like me, like than Ed, like Ed Walters and the like to answer those kinds of questions. Yeah, and I think I, I mean that's something I've I haven't talked specifically about this case with Ed Walters, but I know Ed has long taken the position that let's 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 put the law let's put the you know the raw law the primary law out there for free, and then it, then the way uh, companies such as his mm -hmm. can distinguish themselves is by the way they uh, right. enhance or embellish or or uh, you know uh, make it easier to access or understand that law. So that's. Uh, you know that that's an opportunity, perhaps, for companies as well as uh, potentially potentially uh, an, an obstacle. So exactly. depends, depends how companies how companies do that. But yeah. hey, Mark, uh, I really appreciate your taking time on uh, Law Day, May Day. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, it is today uh, on on a Friday morning to talk with me, and uh, hope you're able to stay uh, sane and well and. Uh, get through all this. Thank you. Well, same to you, Bob. Be well. And I look forward to someday seeing you again in person and yeah. continuing the conversations. Somewhere somewhere there will be a conference again, I hope. Yeah. And it won't be at ABA, I guess, this summer, but not ABA sometime there. No, no, <laughs> not your, not the conference. You, when, when you guys do, do usually did your conference, what, May or something? Or your uh, uh, late April this late year, April, yeah. we, we volley between April and May and we're postponed till 
April in 2021. So keep yeah. an eye out for that for then. Okay. All right. All right, Mark Palmer. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Bob. That's Legal Tech Week for this week. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was helpful. Watch for us to do it again next week. This is Bob Ambrosi.